Welcome to this peer voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash MZH. This activity is supported by an independent medical education grant from Sanofi Genzyme and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals Incorporated. Welcome to this peer voice activity on asthma and nasal polyposis. This activity comprises a series of five streaming episodes featuring Drs. Klaus Bachert and Marc Humbert. Hello, this is Klaus Bachert, Chief of Clinics and Professor at the University Hospital of Ghent, Belgium, and also a professor at the Korolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden. I'm pleased to be joined with my colleague, Professor Marc Humbert, Professor of Respiratory Medicine at the University Paris-Saclay in France. Welcome to this streaming activity on biologics in asthma nasal polyps, decision-making in practice. Novel biologic agents may be useful in addressing these symptoms and treatable traits of both conditions. We have made enormous progress in the last years understanding the disease and differentiating the treatment. In the 1940s, late 1990s and 2000, it was all very clinically based until the eosinophil came into the game and differentiated between the eosinophilic and non-eosinophilic or T-helper-2 and non-T-helper-2 asthma. Further, we made progress in understanding endotypes and we now understand that not only the T-helper cells but actually a lot of other cells, including macrophages, innate cell, lymphocyte cells, and others are involved in these different inflammatory conditions. Mark, how do you handle and treat these treatable traits in these patients nowadays? Well, thank you, Klaus. Uh, indeed, this uh, paradigm shift in the management of chronic airways disease has been extremely important in, uh, in moderate to severe asthma management. Obviously, when we work in the clinic, we have patients who present with pulmonary uh, signs and symptoms, but they also have extra pulmonary signs and symptoms. They are exposed to risk factors and they present with clinically irrelevant uh, symptoms. So this is uh, quite uh, nice when you uh, see a patient in the clinic to have a checklist of uh, signs, symptoms, and uh, biomarkers, which will help you to refine the stratification into type 2 and non-type 2 patients. And obviously, uh, this uh, type 2 immunopathology is of uh, major importance in, in practice, in fact. Um, we all know that uh, the lung, but also the nose, are exposed to uh, a lot of triggers, such as uh, allergens, but also viruses and uh, noxious uh, particles, uh, they will uh, stimulate the uh, epithelial cell. They will also induce an immune reaction, which can go through uh, T helper type 2 cells, but also through innate uh, lymphoid cell type 2. These two type 2 cells are prominent because they are able to produce cytokines, which will orchestrate 
the immune reaction locally in the airways. Well, these type 2 inflammation concepts are so important in the understanding and management of type 2 inflammatory airways disease that we need to know, Klaus, how to target uh, these different cytokines in order to improve outcomes in these patients. Absolutely, Mark. So we are now in the incredible position to target single mediate with a dupilumab anti-IL-4 receptor antibody, which is actually uh, preventing the binding of IL-4 and IL-13 to the IL-4 receptor alpha. At the same time, we can also target the eosinophils, specifically with an anti-IL-5 or anti-IL-5 receptor alpha uh, um, monoclonal antibody. And finally, we can target IgE, a free IgE, uh, but also the cell-bound IgE with omalizumab. So with all these new approaches, monoclonal antibodies, how do we identify these different uh, pathways? How do we test for type 2 inflammation? What are the biomarkers we can play with? Yes, Cloud, there are some uh, major uh, type 2 inflammation biomarkers involved in the immunopathology of the condition. Uh, for example, uh, when the exhaled fraction of uh, nitric oxide is elevated above 20 ppb uh, in the exhaled air, uh, we know for sure that the epithelium and the airways are stimulated by uh, interleukin-13 in the setting of asthma. Moreover, uh, IL-4 and IL-5, the, together with IL-13, they can increase uh, the um, numbers of eosinophils, not only in the bloodstream above 150 per microliter, but also in the sputum, uh, more than 2% in the uh, induced sputum. Last but not least, you also have uh, biomarkers of allergic disease, which are uh, performed thanks to skin prick tests, which allow you to know that uh, IL-4 and IL-13 have led to an IgE-dependent allergic reaction. So all these biomarkers and tests are predictive of the presence of a type 2 inflammation, but also predictive of the plausible efficacy of a biological agent. Let's move now to the second episode uh, where we will uh, discuss more in detail uh, case uh, and uh, uh, decision-making. Hello, everybody. Uh, I am Marc Imbert, a professor of respiratory medicine at the University Paris-Saclay in Le Kremlin-Bicêtre in France. In the next two episodes, we will focus on practical cases and deciding on treatment solutions for patients with asthma using best available options for each case. Now I'm going to describe a case uh, of a patient with severe asthma and comorbid chronic rhinocytis with nasal polyps. In this episode, you will understand how difficult these uh, condition can be, not only due to asthma, but also due to the comorbid uh, nasal condition. Leo lives in Paris, is 
45 years old. He has asthma and comorbid chronic rhinocytes with nasal polyposis. His main complaint was clearly severe asthma because he went to a respiratory clinic. He was diagnosed with asthma at the age of 31. And two years later, nasal polyps were identified at the age of 33. He was treated quite nicely with high dose inhaled corticosteroids and long acting beta 2 agonist twice daily for the past eight years. He had uh, two courses of oral corticosteroids every year to treat asthma exacerbation. And he had also two functional endoscopic sinus surgeries at the age of 34 and 36 uh, for his uh, nasal polyposis. But the nasal polyps returned and he was complaining quite markedly with complete anosmia and chronic nasal congestion. When we hear the patient concerns, you can understand the pain. For example, uh, this uh, gentleman told me, well, my nose is always blocked. I lost smell and taste years ago, and this is very disturbing. On top of that, he um, told us that uh, he took his medication every day, but despite that, he often wakes up in the middle of the night with wheezing at least twice a week. And uh, this impacts markedly his daily life and his work. So you can see that uh, this patient has a key impact of uncontrolled symptom, both at the pulmonary, but also at the nasal level. We had to do uh, a total workup to identify the magnitude of the lung impairment, but also the possible uh, type 2 inflammation uh, going together with this uh, severe asthma. Uh, the FEV1 was 64% uh, of predicted. As always, I work with an ENT in a multidisciplinary team approach, and we did perform a computed tomography of the sinuses and the ENT specialist gave me his expert opinion on the nose, peripheral blood eosinophil count, which were elevated at 550 cells per microliter. Uh, we did not perform sputum eosinophil count, but we did perform a measure of pheno, which was elevated at 28 ppb. Uh, the allergy testing was positive for house dust mite, and this was confirmed by a blood test after the allergy screen. We are uh, convinced that this gentleman suffers a lot from his nasal uh, polyps and we need to improve his ENT uh, condition. We need also to improve his lung function. We no longer want this gentleman to take corticosteroids uh, if possible. And we have to improve his quality of life in terms of anosmia, symptoms, sleeping. Uh, and uh, what is really important is that when we have defined that this patient no longer has difficult asthma, but proper severe asthma, it can be treated with one of the uh, biologics available for type 2 uh, inflammatory airways disease. And the biologic will be supervised in terms of side effects, but also in terms of efficacy. 
And if after four to six months, the treatment is satisfactory with a better quality of life, improved lung function, improved ENT and lung symptoms, well, the biologic can be maintained. But if the treatment goals are not met, or if the patient is uh, uh, declining after an initial improvement, well, there is room for this gentleman for a transition to another biologic. I would be quite keen to follow him up uh, every uh, three to four months initially, and then every four to six months uh, regularly if he's getting a better control. So thank you very much for attention and let's uh, meet together soon on another case. Hello again, this is Marc Imbert, and in this episode, we will focus on a patient with late onset severe asthma. She's 35 and she complains with shortness of breath, trouble sleeping caused by coughing or wheezing. And on top of that, she has recently put some weight on. In terms of uh, medical history, this lady was diagnosed with asthma uh, at the age of 27. Uh, her first real asthma exacerbation occurred at the age of 30. She has had three asthma exacerbations in the past year, one leading to an admission in the intensive care unit. So quite uh, worrisome. She's treated properly uh, with high doses of inhaled corticosteroids with a long-acting beta-2 agonist twice a day, and she's taking that properly. Despite that, she takes every year at least two courses of oral corticosteroids treat this asthma exacerbation. Uh, so the medicine she's taking doesn't work, she says. She says, I have trouble breathing. I have frequent attacks. As I'm taking oral corticosteroids, I gain a lot of weight. I have trouble sleeping, feeling depressed, and it all affects my work. I'm worried about the long-term effects. So this really shows the impact of uncontrolled symptoms and side effects of systemic corticosteroid therapy in a young patient with late-onset asthma. And something I would like to emphasize here is that this lady does not complain about her nose, but it is always the right time to discuss the nose uh, signs and symptoms because these patients often have um, uh, quality of life affected also by uh, nasal symptoms. So we, of course, measured the lung function, which, which was disturbed with an FEV1 of uh, less than 70% and the 15% reversibility with uh, bronchodilators. On top of that, she was investigated by uh, our allergist and there was no allergy whatsoever. Later on, we performed uh, some uh, biological tests, uh, including the measure of blood eosinophil count, which were elevated at 440 cells per microliter. And uh, during the lung function test measures, pheno was highly elevated at 55 uh, ppb. So what are the goals of management? So we need to reduce exacerbations and uh, decrease the reliance on corticosteroids, which should be taken less than currently. So in this very case, so, uh, we have a lady with a clear type two disease. Uh, she has eosinophilia, she has elevated pheno, she's not allergic. So here we have a, 
a more uh, restricted uh, uh, number of biological agents possible for the treatment, but we have a few. Uh, and uh, the treatment will be certainly decided within the multidisciplinary team. This lady will be uh, evaluated in terms of treatment goals. And clearly we want this lady to be well controlled after four to six months. And if not, we know for sure that there are options for switching if needed. Clearly, uh, we have guidance uh, given by different uh, societies and uh, initiatives like uh, uh, ERS, ATS, uh, GINA. And this guidance allow us to have a good follow-up of the patient, to phenotype the patient properly. And for those patients with a type 2 uh, disease, the possibility to offer them uh, biologics with clear-cut treatment goals and clear-cut regular uh, follow-up and clear-cut recommendation for possible maintenance or switching after each evaluation. So we are uh, certainly enthusiastic with uh, airways disease current advances and obviously um, the ENT specialists are part of the game and I, I will love to listen to Klaus Barrett uh, cases uh, in the next episodes. Thank you very much for your attention. Now we are switching back again to chronic rhinosinusitis with nasal polyps. And I will give you two more cases that will help you to understand where to use what. And the first case is actually called Emma. She is a 40-year-old woman with chronic rhinosinusitis with nasal polyps. And she has the typical symptoms which annoy her, such as anosmia, she likes to cook and cannot smell, nasal obstruction, and post-nasal drip. She has used intranasal corticosteroids, but symptoms remained uncontrolled. And she still has frequent courses of oral corticosteroids. And she also had some problems from that, including depression, some uh, joint problems. So this patient was uh, already more than 10 years diagnosed with chronic rhinosinusitis with nasal polyps. She does not have comorbid asthma or any other symptoms of allergy but she had once a maxillofacial trauma with the fractures in her actually face. And she is concerned about that specifically when we talk about surgery. As she said, I was diagnosed with nasal polyps at 32, being on corticosteroid treatments, but still don't have sense of smell and have difficulties to breathe. And there is surgery. I have heard about, but it's not my first choice. And I'm afraid of it specifically also because I had these accidents. What options are there to treat my disease without surgery? And nowadays, I have to tell you that we very often start actually not with surgery in the first one, but actually go to biologics first and try to reduce the polyp size try to understand why, whether biologics would work in these patients, because once we have done surgery, there is no way of testing 
the biologic in these patients again. So we always, generally, when we even talk about surgery, we have to talk about alternatives in the possibility that we also combine two of these uh, medication plus surgery in those patients, specifically those who had surgery before, but also in those who had no surgery before. The indication always is chronic rhinosinusitis with nasal polyps of a certain severity, that's what we call severe, and uncontrolled so far by formal treatment, which also includes medical treatment. So when we look at this patient further, we of course took blood, and in fact, she had a slightly elevated blood eosinophil level with 355 cells per microliter. The IgE was also on the high side, but not over 100. And as I said, she didn't have any allergies or asthma on top of it. So how would you treat this patient? Of course, she gets intranasal corticosteroids daily, and she will keep on that even after whatever surgery or biologic we do. We want to improve symptoms long-term, achieve long-term control without oral glucocorticosteroids. My response to that here would be clearly to start with a biologic, see that this works, and then after six months, after 12 months, if the polyps already have been reduced, discuss with the patient further. Is there need for surgery or is it fine just to stay on the biologic because the symptoms are already controlled sufficiently? The goal here is not necessarily to have no polyps at all. The goal here is to control symptoms to something that is acceptable to the patient. Thank you for joining me for this episode, and I'm happy to join you further for the next episode. So here we have our last patient in a final episode. And again, this patient is a patient with chronic rhinosinusitis with nasal polyps. She has nasal obstruction, frequent secretions, and she is complicated in that sense that she shows something which we do not necessarily see with nasal polyps, and that is frontal facial pressure or pain. And in fact, yes, she has mild intermittent asthma managed with beta agonists, no need to increase the medication here. When we look in the nasal uh, cavities, we see a nasal polyp score of three bilaterally. That means that Actually, the patient breathes just through the lower third of her nose. The upper two-thirds or even more are totally blocked. She cannot smell, and that is not just a problem of obstruction of the nose, but it's also a problem of inflammation. This inflammation can also be seen in peripheral blood um, in the eosinophil count of 620 cells per microliter, and IgE is clearly uh, increased to 428 units per microliter. And here you can see the frontal sinuses are opacified. The nasal cavity, most of it is actually filled. And just 
low in the nose, there is some air that could pass between um, the uh, turbinates and the septum and below the polyps, which grow from the sinuses into the nose and always come from uh, uh, top to the down. So the patient concerns here is really about surgery, and that is, is surgery the only option? It is very important to figure out why is there concern? And the patient asks, is there any medicine against polyps instead? And will my symptoms be controlled long-term without surgery? How can we treat now? We have to resolve nasal obstruction, the loss of smell, and also to reduce, to reduce the acute episodes of exacerbations this patient uh, suffers from. What is the best advice? specifically if the patient refuses surgery. And even the patient does not refuse surgery, we will talk about other options. And this, of course, is biologics. We understand from the beginning that we should not talk to the patient about the one or the other option, but rather the likely necessity of a combination of different things. So let's summarize here. Chronic rhinosinusitis is a chronic, long-lasting, and difficult to control disease. Now we have new treatment options. We should use these wisely. Very often nowadays, we will start with biologics and see if surgery is necessary. There is no need to discontinue biologics. Um, unless the patient is free of symptoms. And of course, there's always the question, when do we stop with biologics after a successful combination of biologics, surgery, bringing the polyp score down to zero, and no polyps for the next two years, three years, five years? This question is unanswered, but I would at least go for three years of treatment after surgery. I hope you enjoyed these episodes and thank you so much for your attention. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.